This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this is Zip. Survive. And repeat. I'm Jenny. I'm Danelle. And I'm Kenny. Woo! Woo, 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 woo! I have no idea what's going on <laughs> in life. No, me either. I'm refusing to watch the news at this point. Smart. I haven't watched the news in forever. I'm just also relying smart. on just so outside social cues to let me know what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just like emails or talking to other people. That's how I'm getting my information. <laughs> I mean, that sounds good. Sounds yeah. decent. Whatever. I like it. Um, I came to the realization that I had very little wine left this afternoon. Mm. And so I was going to go get some, but then I didn't because I am lazy. Um, so I made, I made a New York sour because you only need, oh. a, spla- you only need a splash <laughs> of wine for that. Back to the basics. <laughs> and if you guys don't know, the New York sour is my favorite mixed drink. It's an old fashioned um, cocktail. It involves bourbon, simple syrup, lemon juice, and a splash of red wine. Now, the red wine is supposed to float on the top, and mine is. I've been places where they mix it in, and then I get mad at them. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, correct. don't mix it. It's it's not supposed to be a fucking pink drink. No, this no. isn't a cut. This isn't you know, uh, tequila sunrise. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and it's been a long day. It's been a long, it's been a long week. week. It's been a long year. Whatever. Twenty twenty. Go home. You're drunk. Uh, so what, are you guys, what are you guys drinking? drinking in New York sour? I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Pinot Noir from California. It's called Bowen. Mm. I got it. Um, it was in the fancy section at Giant Eagle, our local like local grocery chain here. Okay. I didn't um, know there was, was like, a fancy section, but well, okay. Okay, it's the top shelf, but it was fifty percent oh. off. <laughs> but it was fifty percent off, you guys. Nice. So I got it for half off. So um it's okay. It's it's pretty good. I, I like that you're just had a lot at, of at the okay mark. I had um earlier I also had a glass of wine from another bottle and it was it was a um organ wine. Mm. And it was very good. So switching from that to this, it's just a different flavor profile. But it's um, it's really dry, uh, but in a nice, uh, s- smooth red way. I like it. I'm into it. Okay. Okay. Kenny. Kenny? Uh, I'm drinking a hazy IPA from Lord Hobo Brewing called Angelica. Ooh. You, you always have the weirdest, like, IPAs that you're drinking. Like, the names of them are so, like, different. I like it. <laughs> It's not that good. I'll be oh. honest. <laughs> I think I think it's because it's not fresh. Like when you get the you know the IPAs that's been sitting on a shelf too long, tastes a little yeah. funky. Mm-hmm. I it was bottled in September, so it might be might, might be, be a little funk. toppiness. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's drinkable. Yeah. Oh, pandemic, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Oh my god, I just figured out why it smells so good in Donald's office. Why? I'm not in my bed today. <laughs> Um, I'm in mine. <laughs> nice. He has a Febreze plug-in. Ooh. Mm, okay. I was like, the candle's not burning. Why does it smell so good in here? Do you put on a lot of cologne today? No, it's a free breeze plug-in. So it's lovely in here. Um, anywho, uh, my story of the week is that 
Sedona, my poodle, was getting a little rough and rugged um, because she doesn't shed. She has hair, not fur. And she usually goes to see a groomer and she looks beautiful when she comes home. Well, the groomer's closed due to the pandemic. So Donald said he could do it. We're oh all re- we're all regretting that at this time. Oh no! <laughs> we now call her Chicken Legs because oh, baby, her legs and belly are shaved down to the skin, and oh. it really she really does look like she has chicken legs because her upper body still has some fur on it. So it, I mean, it just looks ridiculous. Like sh- I, I'm like, if our neighbors are judging us now, they're gonna really judge us. <sighs> so I feel really bad for her. What are they doing to their animals? Yeah, we're abusing them with with razors. Well, and it's funny, I I borrowed um, the clippers from the stables, which are like horse clippers. Oh, yeah. Um, but her hair is so curly and like it's double coated, so like she has an undercoat and then a top coat. Like Donald could not get any clippers to go through it. Oh wow! So, whoopsie, little little fluffer. Yeah, I am thankful that my dog is not she does not need to be groomed. I mean she needs baths obviously but not she doesn't need groomed so mm. I will say though my friend came over today um social distancing uh mm-hmm. and he came over to help me to look at some paint stuff um from afar and he was like hey can I borrow your dog to do um actually he was like no can I sit in front of your fireplace and do a um what's the word like a promo video for this other company he works for so he started doing it and Callie went over to him and started like licking him and humping him during the video it was like an Instagram <laughs> live and she was like humping his leg during it I was like oh my god and I couldn't go get her because we're staying six feet apart like he didn't touch anything in my house or anything and then he left after that but it was so that... he posted it and she was like riding him during the whole video it was very That's amazing <laughs> she was just that... like Are you Another human other than my humans. She's like, I got to get on this now. So that is our mascot. That is our, that's our dog official mascot. She's got needs and it's (laughs) got got wants and needs. It's been a while apparently. So she went, wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I love Mm. it. I love it. Um, Okay, anything else that you guys would like to share about your pandemic experience? I got no. nothing. Okay. I got nothing either. I still have not watched The Tiger King. Oh, it's not going to happen. It's, it's too late happen. now. It's, it's past. I'm uh, over it. Yeah, it's, well, it's done. I've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid just in like passive watching. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm not into it. Sorry. Okay. I don't understand, but okay. That's all I, I know. That's all I got. <laughs> In my life. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else going on. Okay. Um, Well, who should we start? Yeah, who should go first? Uh, Who should go first? Let's go Danelle. Why not? Okay, you know I love to go first. And then I won't be too drunk for mine because I'm just going to drink through Jenny's. So, okay. (laughs) So, this is a survival story. I'm going to just say Morrow. I'm, I don't know if that's pronounced correctly or not. Uh, Prosperi, and he, uh, so probably not even right, but um, he is from Italy. And in 1994, he was 39 years old. And at the time, he was an Italian police officer. 
And he decided to participate in a marathon that was six days long and 155 miles Mm-mm. over six nope. days. That's through too the, long. <laughs> through the Sahara. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely yeah. not. It's, a, that's it's, too much running. That's too many days. That's too many miles. And that's too dry. So, so much heat. And I mean, but you why? lost me at six days. I'm sorry. You lost me at running. So well, it's 30. <gasps> when I was reading, it's like 35 miles. They have to do 35 miles a day. Ah! If, that, if, the math, if that math works out right. Um, that's a lot. Especially I wish you could see my face and, right now. It yeah, I wish I could too. Horrified. Um, it's, pause for just a minute. I know what I was going to tell you guys. Hmm. Per usual, I started a new weight loss challenge um, <laughs> with myself. And because nobody else is in it with me. Um, I would do it with you. Well, let me hear it first. Hold on. <laughs> it's it's real easy. It's called Weight Watchers. Oh. <laughs> oh that was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's called Weight Watchers. Uh, it turns out that the foods I like to eat were really <laughs> freaking bad for me, even though sometimes no. I talk myself into... No, seriously. Like, I... Okay, so I know chicken salad is not good for you. Like... You know, the kind with mayonnaise and stuff. But I trick myself into buying the kind with like cranberries and almonds. Like this is the healthier version. No, it's definitely not. Like I have a certain number of points a day. And if I want to waste 20 points on just the chicken salad portion of my sandwich, fine. Go ahead, Jenny. So that's all your ass is eating today. um, I'm telling you, I started this yesterday. I weighed myself this morning, which I know is probably just water weight and stuff. But listen, listen, I'm down three and a half pounds. Holy Ooh. shit. That's amazing. So I'm doing it again today. I'm gonna, I don't know how exactly to log this drink that I've made myself, but I will. I kind of want to do it with you. I just, I've I got the app. It. I got the app. So get the app and we can be in okay. it together. If anyone else listening is interested you guys can join it too, and maybe we, we can like have a group or something. Yeah, I don't can know. Can you form a group? I don't know. I so, think so. So, what is like a glass of wine? Like, how many points do you um, think? I th- uh, we can talk on. about I... this later if you want. No, hold <laughs> on. I think this is We're... boring for people. <laughs> I don't know. Again, we just have our normal discussions on this podcast. Like, this is how we normally would just talk. <laughs> hold on. Forgetting that we're recording. I'm gonna look red. Okay. Wine. Yeah, like just a just a casual um, glass of red wine. So red wine, like five fluid ounces, which I'm guessing I do more like six, but whatevs, um, mm-hmm. is four points. And, and like how many points do you get a day? It depends on your plan. And okay. there's like really fun stuff. Like for instance, there's a lot of foods that have zero points, even though they have calories. So like mm. a banana. If I want to have a banana for a snack, guess what? Zero fucking points. Oh my god! Great. Yeah. And there's like mostly like fruits and vegetables tend to be the zero point ones. But anyway, I'm a green member. I don't I have no idea what that means. There's green, blue and purple, I think. Anywho, I will keep you posted because I got on scales morning. because I was like, I feel weirdly skinnier today already. And then I was like, what the fuck? Mm, <laughs> One <and> day. <laughs> it's been a day. So and I drank wine yesterday. So it wasn't like I didn't drink wine. Um, so I'm just saying. You guys, like, if you want to join I might, in, I might go on that journey with you because oh my God, it's I, so fun. during this pandemic, I was like, I'm going to work out five times a week, not happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be clear. Three is the max I can get out of myself. 
Right. Um, Pretty much the only working out I do is riding Donna. And uh, I just eat like, yeah. And I tried to do fasting again like a week ago, and it just ends up with me gorging myself at lunch like a crazy. <laughs> like, we, I didn't eat all morning. I was so hungry. We ordered pizza for lunch. I swear to God, I had like five pieces of pizza and like three cheesy breadsticks. Like, mm. disgusting. And then well, I was really nauseous the rest of the day. <laughs> I had two conference calls this morning back to back. So I didn't have time to like make lunch. So I was starving, and we had like, a quarter of a bag of uh, nachos la- or like um, tortilla chips, but they're all like crumbled. I literally put them on a paper plate and put cheese slices on it and put it in the microwave. And that's what I ate for lunch. Smart. It's gross. Like it was all great. I just shoved it in my mouth. It was, I, and then I had some animal crackers. <laughs> I made a turkey sandwich and I was totally about to put mayo on it. And then I scanned a mayo bottle and figured out mm-hmm. that it had so many points in it. So then I scanned the mustard bottle, which mustard is not my favorite, but I just need something to like, you know, Bush it. yeah, lube up the sandwich a little. And I put, I did mustard. It was zero points. Damn. Get that mustard on there. I was like, fuck you, Mayo. We aren't I friends anymore. I get, I get what Mayo day. is. I know it's fat. Right. But it tastes delicious. I get I that. Know. I made a tuna melt the other day for Todd and I, and there was so much mayonnaise in it. Mm. Like I, it was delicious mm-hmm. and it was not good for you. Oh my God. All right. Well, all. I totally anyway, got us off topic. So we're sorry. running through the Sahara Desert for six fucking days for hundred. You know who's miles. not in Weight Watchers? Morrow. No, because he probably has to eat like a billion calories to do that. I'm kind of jealous of that part. I want to call him Mario anyway. Okay. You can. Um, I won't be offended. It's Mario. So, okay. So he's <laughs> so insensitive. Sorry, Italian. It's fine. Um, we love Italian people. Go. Um, so he decides he's going to do the Sahara race and it's described as one of the toughest races of its kind, clearly. Oh, I thought you were going to um, say the worst thing you could ever do as a human, but well, that too, but Sainsies. I mean, I ran a half marathon and it literally took me six months to train for cause I'm so mm-hmm. slow. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. imagine doing 155 miles. Okay. So I guess the race, the race is so risky. You, they have you sign a form as they should say that to say where you want your body to be sent in case you die. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, thank you. (laughs) So he also has three children under the age of eight. And his wife was like, you're crazy. Don't do this. And he, before he left, he reassured her and said, the worst thing that can happen is that I get a little sunburned. <laughs> no, that's not. You sign a contract saying if you die, you want your body sent somewhere. So the worst thing that could right. happen is that you die. Right. Well, and in 1994, when he did the race, there were only mm-hmm. 80 runners because the race wasn't as popular as it is today. Ew, it's popular. Um, it's very popular now. Oh, so, like, if you were to look at pictures of this particular race that takes place every year, there are, like, thousands of runners now. So, when he did it in 1984, there were only rate, rate 80, <laughs> 80 people that were actually running. So, most of the time that he was running in the race, he was on his own because they were so, like, distanced out from each other. Also and a lot, Yeah, and a lot of the people also walked a lot of it. So, some of them, you know, staggered, like, they run and then walk. So, everyone was at, like, different paces and different levels and whatever so we have to remember that he was also alone for a lot of this um he said except for at night when they would all like tap out at the end of the day they would all kind of get together and and have a good time and have dinner and hang out and whatever so he did meet some great friends throughout the process but for the most part during the day he was on his own um 
so things were going great. Again, this is a six-day journey, a six-day run, and things were going great up until the fourth day. And mm. this was part of the longest and most difficult stage of the race. And he said that when they left in the morning, he there was a lot of wind going on mm. happening. Oh. And as he passed the fourth um, checkpoint, whatever that means, um, he entered an area of sand dunes. They just had a lot of sand dunes in the area. And he noticed, again, he was alone. Um, the pacemakers had gone ahead. He had already got his bottle of water, um, which he was halfway through. And a violent sandstorm just appeared out of nowhere. <gasps> and if you know anything about sandstorms, which I don't. They're I just know about of, sand, but I don't know yeah. about storms. Well, they're very painful and they can mm. last for hours. In fact, this one lasted for, I think it was eight hours, he said. Um, eight hours, yes. This particular one lasted for eight hours. He said he was terrified and it basically was like a yellow wall of sand. He was blinded. He couldn't breathe. Um, he had to cover his face. So he was well prepared, but it felt like a storm of needles were hitting him. I bet. Um, and he, he then realized for the first time how powerful full sandstorm could actually be. And um, he said that he couldn't stay in one place while the sandstorm was happening because it would start to build up around you. So you had to keep walking. Oh, so it was like um, moving quicksand, basically. Yeah, so it's like moving quicksand. Yeah, and it, it would also hurt you. So you want to keep like walking and covering yourself. So it's mm. not that he was disoriented. He just had to keep moving from getting buried. So um, he found a spot once it calmed down a little bit and waited for the storm to end. And by the time it ended, it was dark outside. So he had to sleep in the dunes. So he didn't make it to the mile marker. Uh -oh. So he slept in the dunes and he was like, you know what? He said he, at the time he was more upset about the race that he wasn't like on pace. Cause at this point he was in fourth place and he was like, well, I know I'm not in fourth place anymore. Um, so I'll just sleep here tonight and I'll make up the time in the morning and I'll get caught up and, and whatever. So everything changed from that point on. So he woke up really early in the morning and when he opened his eyes, everything around him looked different. Uh oh. He had no idea where he was and uh -oh. he didn't realize at this point, he didn't realize he was lost because he was kind of cocky. Like he was like, I got a compass, I got a map, I can navigate. Um, but a compass. Right. And but without a paper, point and a paper map and a paper map. This is like pre-cell phone. This it's is 1994. He printed out the MapQuest directions. And I don't even think MapQuest existed in 1994. No, I don't think the internet was quite there yet. No. So it's like old school maps. Jesus. Maps. Of the Sahara Desert. Perfect. Of the Sahara. I'm sure it was very accurate. So not only that, but without points of reference, it became super complicated very quickly. I'm um, sure. He, let's see, da, 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 okay, he thought he'd eventually run into someone that also experienced the sandstorm too, so he just kept, he just started running. He was mm. like, I'm going to go in this direction, this is where I need to go, like he thought he was on the right track. So after running for about four hours, hello, um, he said he climbed up a dune and still couldn't see anything, and that's when he knew he had a big problem. Yeah, uh, he I feel realized like he shouldn't he was run lost. for four hours and then realize that though. Yeah. So the first thing he did, so there are a lot of survival tips in this story. So okay, good. pay attention. I'm ready. So the first thing he did, the minute he realized he was lost is he urinated in a spare water bottle. So he had a, he had a water bottle that was half filled with water already, like clean water. And mm -hmm. then he had an extra water bottle that he urinated in because mm -hmm. 
He had been drinking water, and at that point, his urine was the cleanest it was going to be throughout this whole endeavor. Oh, um, and he was good. He saved it. So oh. he also told a story about how his grand, his dad, I think, or grandfather, it'd be his grandfather, maybe, whatever. Someone in his family was in World War II, mm-hmm. and they told him that in World War II, they used to urinate in bottles a lot, and they, they had to drink it a lot. And so he had heard of the strategy to do that right away, just so your urine is the cleanest. Not that it's ideal, but yeah. So he also, again, he was well prepared for the journey. He had a knife, a compass, a sleeping bag, plenty of dehydrated food in his backpack. But the problem he was most worried about was water because he's in the freaking desert. Um, So let's see. He said he would strategically only walk when it was cool, like super early in the morning and then again in the evening. And then during the day when he wasn't walking, he tried to find shelter or shade. Um, was no one trying sec- to find him? They were, but it's only day four at this. Well, now it's day five. So mm. the race hasn't ended yet. So they don't know he's lost yet. I see. But as as his as this continues, they do try to search for him. Um, so on the second day at sunset, he said he heard the sound of a helicopter coming towards him. And he assumed that they were looking for him. So he took out his flare. He used his only flare and shot it up in the air. And um, the pilot didn't see it. But he said the helicopter was actually flying so low that he could see the pilot's helmet. The pilot just didn't see him and flew right past him. And it was really just, he said that was the first time where he really like lost a little bit of hope at this point. Um, He still remained calm though. And he was convinced that at some point, they were going to realize that he was lost and come send help. So a few more days pass and he comes across, it's called a Maribel, which is, it's a Muslim shrine. It's like a little tiny stone structure in the middle of the desert. And it's used for, as a place for people to stop as they are crossing the desert. Um, there's also like a burial in there. So there's was, there was a body buried in there too. Um, I mean, it was in a casket and stuff, but still. We won't get into that. So he he found this little shrine and it was empty. No one was in there, but it had a roof so it could protect him from the sun. And he said it was wait like except being for the dead home. body. Except for the dead body, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he reassessed the situation and he knew it wasn't good. He was feeling right physically, but he you know started to eat his food again. He was really worried about water, so he. Um, he would cook his rations in his fresh urine, which I think is <laughs> gross. Um, a little bit. Yeah. So on that was day four that he was lost. So there was another sandstorm and the shrine had filled up with sand. So he was like at the top of the ceiling of it. If you can imagine like it just being filled with sand and he's at the top and he noticed that um, there were bats at the very top of like the ceiling part of the shrine and he had read somewhere that drinking blood actually is it, it's even better than drinking your urine because there's no salt in it. And when you drink your urine, there's mm. a lot of salt. So mm. he used his knife and tore the heads off those bats. Stirred oh my up God, like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, stirred up their insides and fucking just drank away. Um, he ate 20, at least 20 of them raw. So there's so there's that. Um, he also planted disease though. Yeah, I mean, okay, yes, 
I'm just throwing that out there. If, you, if anyone's considering eating bats raw. <laughs> just no. Is either it was either just that no. or he was probably gonna die of dehydration. Yeah. So I get it. He, I get it. He then put his Italian flag on the roof in case someone, you know, decided to swing by and they oh would God. know that he was there. I thought you said Italian leg. I'm like, <laughs> does he have real sexy legs? I bet he does as a runner. But... He cut his leg off and put it on the roof. <laughs> Makes total sense. And then drank his blood. Um, <laughs> he ended up staying in the shrine for a few days waiting to be found. Um, he really thought this was like his last chance to be found. He was very depressed. He was getting into like a very mental depressed state and he was convinced that he was going to die. Um, so he came to the conclusion at this point that he was going to accelerate that process for himself. He said he wasn't afraid to die. Um, so he decided to take his own life out of logical reasoning rather than despair. So he wrote a note to his wife on a piece of charcoal and then he cut She's his wrist. She's going to be pissed. She's going to be pissed. Well, he also mentions, which I didn't have it in here, but he wanted to kill himself because I guess in Italy, if you if you die and they don't find your body mm-hmm. for insurance purposes or like his pension for being a police officer, she wouldn't receive the pension money for 10 years if they don't find your body. She'd mm. have to wait 10 years until she receives some type of income for mm-hmm. his death. So he thought if he killed himself in the shrine versus like walking across the desert, it'd be more, he'd be more likely to be found faster Yeah, because, you know, versus her waiting 10 years, which I thought was pretty considerate, but I think she'd rather want you to live. So he laid down, cut his wrist, but his blood was so thick that it wouldn't, it wouldn't drain. So he, it just didn't work. So he woke up the next morning that, you know, he was alive and he was like, you know what? It's a sign. I'm, it's not my time to go. So he regained confidence. He restructured the way he was thinking. And he was like, you know what? The race was my competition. Now this is my new competition is to live. So he just like went into athlete mode and was like determined and focused. And he was like, I'm going to think of my children and my wife and this race, and I'm going to get through this. So with that new refound strength and Mental lucidity, lucidity. Clearly, mm-hmm. I wrote that part. Um, Abby, you're so smart, Janelle. <laughs> guys, I'm just learning so many big words during the quarantine. Yes. ABC.com. That's where this article is from. Okay, so he decided he needed a GTFO out of the shrine and yes. start walking again. Um, so he initially, when he first started the race, the guides were like, "Listen, if for any reason you get lost, this is very like." old school advice but they were like if you get lost head for the clouds that you see on the horizon at dawn and no, that's where stop. you'll find what? life that's where no. you'll find life stop it so, so he didn't do this at first because he was like okay yeah whatever well now he's desperate so he was like you know what i'm gonna listen to the original guides and i'm gonna head for the clouds and just go that direction mm. um so he walked in the desert for days like multiple days killing snakes lizards eating them raw mm-hmm. um you know drinking their blood he said his inner caveman emerged of and, course it did <laughs> i mean i'm gonna so, be honest with you though, that's a little hot like a like a little a like, little caveman s yeah he was like i'm in it he would also find like succulents and like you know cactus and stuff yeah just drink that so it wasn't just pee ladies okay 
Good. Um, I'm glad he had the wherewithal to look at the succulents as well. <laughs> he was aware that he was losing an incredibly amount of weight. Um, he said the more he walked, the looser Was he, he on Weight Watchers was. too? <laughs> this is day nine of Weight Watchers, and he really felt like his watch was loosening up. I'm not sure why. Um, he said also he had anti-diarrhea medicine which, with him, which kept that he kept taking to help with dehydration too. So, um, smart. That's smart. Amodium yeah. AD, you guys can't take it with it. you wherever you go. That's right. Um, on the eighth day, he came across a little oasis and he laid down to drink. I thought this part was not funny, but it says he laid down to drink, sipping slowly for about six or seven hours. Like you think <laughs> he's going to lay down to drink for like 20 minutes. No, he just laid there for six or seven hours. I would lay um, there for six or seven hours. I would too. He also said that he was really lucky because he's Italian, but he's the type of Italian with really dark skin. Mm, so good. he wasn't getting sunburn or anything like that. So he's not I mean, like I'm, any of us. Right. We would just die of sunburn, really. Um, <laughs> as he was drinking for six to seven hours, he saw, he noticed a footprint in the sand. So he knew that people could not be far and he was heading in the right direction. Mm. So he falls asleep there. And the next day he wakes up and he saw some goats in the distance. Gave him hope, so he ventured there. He then saw a young shepherd girl, and she saw him too, and she ran away scared because he looked like a terrifying yeah. person after nine days in the desert. <laughs> um, he then found his way to her hut, and her mom ended up helping him, although they would not let him come inside their tent because no men were allowed in the tent. Mm. And um, she it was 1994. Be- it was 94. Men are not allowed inside. She quickly gave him goat's milk to drink, and she tried to give him food as well, but he threw it up because his body couldn't handle it. Uh, yeah, I feel like um, drinking goat's milk straight up yeah. on an on a empty stomach, especially when on you've a, been on Weight Watchers for that long. Mm-mm. And a hot desert day. Like, think mm. how hot it is out. No. Yeah. Okay. So she called the police, which is not like our police, of course. I'm sure it took them a while to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that he was 181 miles off course. Whoopsie! You anything. <laughs> Just well, a ra- slight the, detour. The whole, the whole race was 150 miles, so... And he was on day four of six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Whoopsie-daisy. I think yeah, he won so the, the race, though, because, I mean, he went farther than anyone else. He did. It took him nine days. He was lost in the desert for nine days. So, <laughs> he they took him to the hospital where um, he was there for a day, and then he was able to call his wife, and... He said the first thing he said to her was, have you already had my funeral? Because 10 days in the lost mutt in the desert, you would expect him to be dead. Um, he only weighed 99 pounds. Weight Watchers. Oh, my God. Um, Weight Watchers? <laughs> I haven't weighed that much since, like, <laughs> junior high. Exactly. Um, he said his eyes suffered. Um, his eyes were swollen and just had a lot of issues. His liver was damaged. But his kidneys were fine. Um, All that pee he drank really cleaned out the old kidneys. Yeah, really cleans them out. Um, He couldn't eat anything other than super liquids for months. It took him almost two years to fully recover. Oh, no. But here's the kicker. Four Uh years later, that motherfucker went back to the same race in the same desert. Mm -mm. And he said he started something and he had to finish it. So he did. And he said that um, the other reason is that he can't live without the desert. The desert fever, desert fever does exist, and it's a disease that he's absolutely caught. 
Listen, so, it does not exist for people with red hair and pale ass skin. No. I, I would rather do anything than go to the desert. Anything. Exactly. He actually goes back every year. No. And he has run. This article was written in um, like all this. Most of my information was written in like 2014. So from from 2000 or geez, from 1994 to 2014, he has um, he ran eight more marathons in the desert. And in 2014, he actually ended up running the biggest desert race ever, which was 4,350 miles coast to coast across the Sahara. Shoot me now. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Um, he says that his wife was a saint and for many years she coped with him. But at a certain point, she ended up, she couldn't handle his lifestyle because the training for all of this like overtook his life. They I'm decided sure. to split up. Um, he said they're still really good friends and they co-parent everything's great. He has a new partner. She has a new partner. Life is good. Um, he said he's a man on a mission and I can't change. So that is a story of Mario Prosperi, which is not his name. That's just what I'm going to call him. I'm not <laughs> right. Um, so really quick before I end this, here are some tips for surviving the, the desert. Okay. Without water, death occurs after about three days in the desert. Uh-huh. which I didn't realize it was that soon. Um, at sea, people can survive six to seven days. Um, drink nothing. Here's a key. Drink nothing in, ca- in case we ever find ourselves lost in the desert. Drink nothing uh-huh. for the first 24 hours to put your body into survival mode. Okay. And then start drinking the urine and the, and the blood. Um, drinking, drinking urine is not recommended. It contains salt, uh, which we already talked about, which can actively dehydrate you further. Seawater is even worse. Mm-hmm. digesting protein uses more water than other foods. So it's best be avoided. So you want to do like fruits and vegetables if you can find it. Let's not get too picky though. Um, and then here's the blood thing. Drinking blood may help as it's easy to digest. It may conserve body water. Um, survivors at sea have um, drank turtle blood in the past, which I think mm. we did a story on that. We did. We did. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So there are some tips if you ever find yourself lost in the desert. And that is his amazing survival story. And, and he's still at it. Like, it's not going to scare him. Oh, my God. What a man. I know. Manly caveman. <laughs> Jenny's into That's it. terrible. I mean, I'm into that, but I'm not into the running in the desert. I don't like that. For myself. I guess he can do it if he's going to turn into a manly caveman man. But, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, thank you. No. A very, a very good story. I liked it. Thank you. Something a little mm. different. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. I am doing the story of Siegfried and Roy. Oh. What different. happened? What happened the night of the tiger attack? Ooh. I figured if everyone's going to be obsessed with tigers and tiger kings, the real tiger kings are Siegfried and Roy. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Siegfried and Roy are, if you guys don't know, I don't know if everyone is aware, they are master illusionists and they um, have been housed at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas for many, many years. Um, this all is taking place in Las Vegas on October 3rd of 2003. Okay. Okay. I'm there. All right, good. So um, Roy Horn, the darker-haired member of Siegfried and Roy, 
um, was celebrating his 59th birthday at the Mirage Hotel Theater. So he is, um, he was partying in the early hours of the morning. He had 500 friends and fellow entertainers there with him to celebrate. 500? Um, Who has 500 friends? Well, I mean, have 12. He's, he's soups famous and there's lots of other yeah. entertainers that like looked up to him. He was like a legend. Okay. Okay, so they, spent the- are they considered like sorry, are they considered like magicians too or just yes. more like Yeah. Okay. I'll get into it as to who does what. But yes. They do like illusions, magician kind of stuff, all that. Um high flying acts, etc. Okay. So at midnight he raised a glass to his partner Siegfried Fischbacher. Uh-oh. Here's... What? No, he's not. Uh-oh. Declan, oh. seems, to be... Declan seems to be missing. Where's Declan? <laughs> There's a game called Where's Declan? Do you want to go find your son real quick? No. <laughs> I mean, Donald, Donald's here. He's in charge. Donald, figure it out. God, okay. okay. All right. Just keep an eye out in case he comes Donald. back. Donald! Looking panicked. Okay. okay. So Siegfried Fischbacher, uh, uh, Roy Horn raised his glass at midnight uh, in celebration of 44 years together. So adorable friendship. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were lovers. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure they were lovers. I believe you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he was, uh, Roy was in great spirits. Um, His friends were kidding around with him, making jokes that he needed to retire um, and he said that he, I'll only retire when I can't do it anymore. And he had a heavy German accent and he was alluded to the physical strength necessary to swing on ropes 30 feet above the audience. So I'm guessing again, some sort of, uh, acrobatic situation was happening. I never actually saw them in, in real life. Yeah. Um, and also handling, intense. handling 600 pound tigers, which were the centerpiece of their act. Uh, he was very fit. He was very active um, and so he thought that the day of retirement seemed a really long way off. But it wasn't. <laughs> no. Uh, less than 24 hours later, Roy was, ne- he- Roy was near death in the trauma unit at University Medical Center. Oh, my God. Um, so they had performed... 30,000 perfectly timed shows with elephants, lions, tigers, cheetahs, and macaws. And they mm-hmm. never had a serious mishap in 30,000 shows. Their act had been seen by 400,000 people each year. What? It was basically one of the things that Vegas was known for. All the razzle-dazzle. They had daredevil, theatrics, illusions, and of course, animals. So just like imagine that many people seeing your show. I mean, just insane. So, I didn't realize they were that pop. I mean, I know I've heard of them and I, I know they're popular, yeah. but I didn't realize they were that. I know, they're I guess like, they were kind of a staple in Las Vegas. Yeah. They're like a mainstay of Las Vegas. So um, the lions and tigers were Roy's domain. So he had this ability to really communicate with them. And he did something he called affection conditioning. And he would raise the cubs from birth and he would sleep in the same bed with them until they were a year old. Okay. It's good, but it's terrifying to me. It's also like back to my, like, here's my, let me get on my soapbox for a minute. Like they're wild animals. Like let them be wild animals. Like they're not for your 
enjoyment or pleasure. Right. And sorry, go ahead. But apparently okay. they are because people want to see them. So, <laughs> well, and this, I didn't know a lot of the details of this. I just remember it happening and being like, holy shit, that's terrible. But again, I was, I was in my senior year of college. I don't know if I was like that tuned into this. Um, okay. So the night of October 3rd, um, it was 45 minutes into one of their shows. And so the time was 8.15. And Roy let out Montecore. Montecore was a seven-year-old white tiger who was born in Mexico. And he was 380 pounds. Wow. Okay. This is hard. He Like got... he let him out to go to the bathroom? Or he... No, on stage. This is during a oh. show. Okay. No, no, no. This is during I'm thinking, show. like, I'm still caught up with him sleeping with them, so I'm just... No, he had to go no. out to pee, so he's letting him outside. Okay. No, sorry. no, no. Now we're back to the show. It's October 3rd, 45 minutes into an actual show. It's 8.15 p.m. Roy Got leads it. out Montecore, a seven-year-old white tiger okay. who was born in Mexico. He had raised this tiger since the tiger was six months old. Okay. Um, the 380-pound cat became distracted by someone in the audience, mm. and he broke his routine. And he started to walk towards the edge of the stage. Oh, my God. Terrifying. There is no barrier protecting the audience. I'm like, who the f- who's, what? Going to the sh- who's going to the show? What? But, but if your little kid is in the front row with you, I mean, yeah. no. Terrifying. Terrifying. Oh. Yeah, there's no barrier. Pro- I didn't know this part. There's no barrier protecting the audience. Oh, my God. So Roy leapt and put himself between Montecore and the front row. And the front row is only a few feet away. Mm. The, tiger wow. kept, the tiger kept coming. So Roy told him to lay down, and Montecore refused. He then gripped Roy's right wrist in his paw. Mm. So at this point, Roy has lost the chain that he had around Montecore's neck. And so he was trying to grab for it, but Monocore was still holding on to his right wrist. Um, and this was all from a tourist from Miami, Tony Cohen, who was sitting 10 yards from the stage. Oh, God. Just so, watching this front row. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. That's what I always wanted. <laughs> Just so an interactive a, show. <laughs> he still had a free hand. His left hand was still free, and he was holding a wireless microphone. And he repeatedly tried tapping Montecore, the tiger, on his head. And the audience said it every time he tapped the tiger on the head with the wireless microphone, it made this like reverberating noise. And Roy kept saying, release, release. So finally, Montecore relaxed his grip. But Roy had been trying so hard to pull his wrist away from the tiger that he ended up falling backwards over the tiger's legs. And in an instant, Manticore was on top of him and had his jaws on Roy's neck. Oh my gosh. So Siegfried, who again is not the tiger trainer or the animal person at all in these shows, started running towards them yelling, no, 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 no. But the tiger who had Roy by the neck dragged him off the stage 30 feet Wow. I'm and looking them up right now because I want to see what they look like. One Sorry, of the witnesses said it literally looked like the tiger was dragging a rag doll. I'm like, okay. Um, 
Do you think some of the audience, sorry, do you think some of the audience at this point thinks that this is part of the show or do you think they realize? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Some people gasped because they were like, oh my God, this is not what's supposed to be happening. But most of the audience thought it was part of the show. Yeah, because how would you, I mean, you don't know if you've never seen it before. How would you know? Wow, these two are quite the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of back and forth. So Siegfried later said that Roy had fallen ill from blood pressure pills. Mm. And he insisted that Montecor had realized something was wrong and was trying to protect Roy. But animal behaviorists put little stock into that. And they say it's more likely Montecor was on his way to delivering a killing bite, much like a tiger in the wild would bring down an antelope. So again, but even not- after he was bit, he was still trying to protect the tiger and saying that, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Um, so a lot of people think that the, the tiger didn't necessarily mean to kill or hurt him, but there was a break in the routine. And then he was angry because he was disciplined in a way that he wasn't used to. And the stress mm-hmm. kind of caused him to l- like lash out. Kind of like how a kid would lash out if you did something like that. So, um, once they were backstage, because the, the tiger dragged him back there, um, all these stagehands back there had to try and get this tiger off of him. So they grabbed fire extinguishers, and they were spraying the tiger with the fire extinguishers to try and get him to free Roy. And when that didn't help, um, they then hit the tiger around the head and the rear end with the extinguishers until um, Montecor finally mm. released Roy, and he ran to his cage. Oh, okay. So um, the tiger uh, had torn Roy's jugular vein, but it missed his carotid artery. Um, one of the dancers in the show said there was a lot of blood, a lot. And I'm like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but Roy was still conscious and he muttered, don't shoot the cat. Oh. So one of the crew members was able to stop the bleeding and um, a prayer, prayer circle was formed around him. And then a trauma team was assembled at University Medical Center and an ambulance came to get Roy. Um, the producer of the show, Kenneth Feld, immediately before this even hit newspapers that um, Roy had been attacked by the tiger, canceled the 13-year-old show. So before this even hit newsstands the next day, the show was canceled and Feld told all the people who were working there that they should look for new jobs. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously news spread really quickly because Vegas, nobody sleeps in Vegas. Um, Vigil sprung up all over at the hospital and the Mirage. Um, lots of performers obviously admired these two. Um, and here's the backstory a little bit. Uh, the two men had met on a German cruise ship when they, um, and then they, brought their magic act to Las Vegas in 1967. Wow. That long, like that is just such a long running show. And they are like staples of Las Vegas. Now I'm looking at their pictures. I know exactly who they are. And yeah. Yeah. So they helped transform a town that at that point in 1967 was ruled by crooners, off color comics and topless dancers. And in 1988, they signed their record breaking deal. It was a five year, $57 million deal with Steve Wynn. And he wanted them to stage a Broadway meets Barnum and Bailey extravaganza at the still under construction Mirage. So that's kind of how they got their start. They, they got there in 67, but by 88, they were getting this huge deal because they were such great performers. Um, 
they were Vegas royalty. They had an opulent compound called Jungle Palace. It had a replica of the Sistine <laughs> Chapel. Of course it did. <laughs> they also had a separate 100-acre estate called Little Bavaria, and it was outside of town. And that's where they kept their 63 tigers and 16 lions. Hmm. Um, they did not declaw any of their animals. And all of the animals had run of the property. So they were allowed to go into the house, into their bedroom, into the pool. Um, and Roy meditated with at least one tiger every day. So they were, li- other than being in their natural habitat, they were kind of living their best lives. Pretty much. The tigers, the animals, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish it I was a tiger. sounds pretty nice to me, yeah. Sounds Let me have great. Your house. Um. They also were super generous with all of their wealth. Uh, They were huge benefactors of the local police canine uh, crew and the USO. And they told interviewers over years that they were awed that in Vegas, two sons of abusive alcoholic fathers who were both soldiers in Hitler's army were able to achieve their dreams and so much more. So um, it's like really crazy. They met on a, on a cruise, cruise ship. Together. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize they were, they were lovers, too. So they were also, like, together, and this was, like, mm-hmm. their their show. Okay, that's cool. And Siegfried, who was always, he always was scared of the beasts. Like, he always, he always was like, I'm not into the tigers and the lions. Like, you can handle that. He was the one who did the magician, like, the magic show part, the technical wizard. And he was the brains behind all the, like, disappearing acts and things that they had. So, like, he was the illusionist. And Roy was the one who was very into the animals, and he was the one who had this, um, he could control these big cats with a flick of a finger. Um, uh, Robin Leach, I don't know if you remember Robin Leach from Lifestyles, the rich and famous. I sure do. He said they're so closely intertwined, they're like brothers. And in my head, I'm like, or lovers. Uh, Without one, there isn't the other. So they just had a great relationship that made the show even more amazing than it even could have been so uh the night of the attack Siegfried was in shock um they were very very concerned that he wasn't going to make it um it was shortly after 11 30 p.m when they wheeled him out of the unit into another part of the hospital so he had surgery and then was taken out at 11 30 um but early next morning he suffered a stroke so Mm. He returned to surgery at 9.30, I assume a.m. They did not put a descriptor there. <laughs> um, they And this is a little graphic, but doctors performed a large decompressive craniectomy. Oh, God, that would hurt. So they temporarily removed about a quarter of his skull to relieve the swelling in his brain. Oh, gosh. And the part of his skull that they took out, they had to keep it alive. And so they put it in a pouch they made in his abdomen. What? So that his his body could keep that um, bone tissue alive. So they could put it back. That is some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. I agree. What the fuck? Um, he suffered paralysis on the left side and his windpipe had been crushed. So he had to be placed on a ventilator. Um, he couldn't swallow or speak. But Steve Wynn, uh, the guy who had given them this break at the Mirage... Uh, came just a few days later and um, was talking to Roy and he would, Roy would squeeze his hand once for yes and twice for no. And uh, when asked if he thought he could handle this, 
He squeezed yes. Um, he also said that he wanted to see his pug-nosed dog, Piaf. Aw, Piaf. <laughs> Piaf was brought to the hospital for a visit. So um, late in October, uh, Roy Horn, he was strong enough to be airlifted to UCLA Medical Center. Uh, and he continued to make progress. And um, Siegfried came um, and he remembered that Roy wrote him a note and it said, Siegfried, it is nice to hold your hand. Oh, that is so sweet and romantic. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he was taken off the ventilator in mid-November and his cognitive skills were, quote unquote, intact, perfect. Good. Um, so he was writing all these prolific notes and giving orders uh, and one of the th- one of the things he ordered was that he needed someone to bring him a Madonna CD. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> I'm like, smart. Good idea. <laughs> so um, the duo's camp was pretty silent after the attack happened. Kenneth Feld, um, again, was the owner not just of this show, but also Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And so they had a lot of trouble. Um, with animal rights groups um, and the animal rights groups who wanted tigers to be retired and the Department of Agriculture opened an investigation into the animal welfare. Um, So at this point, basically stakes were really high and the Mirage Mirage refused to release the tape of the near-fatal performance because there was a tape of it. Oh, really? But because of all the legal entanglement that was happening um, with Feld, they decided that they could not release that footage. So no one's ever seen it. I bet it's intense as fuck. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, so they couldn't promise that the live show would ever come back um, because they were still waiting to see if Roy would make a recovery. Um, he had a lot of loss of blood and, and loss of oxygen to his brain. And they said some of the paralysis that he was um, having from the attack and from the subsequent stroke um, may have caused irreversible paralysis and brain damage. Um, A lot of times they said in cases like Roy's, a patient will exhibit residual effects of brain injury, um, including speech difficulty, memory problems, emotional instability, and impaired critical thinking skills. So it was kind of a a sad moment because at this point they're thinking they can never get back. Um, By January, his tracheal tube was out and he was, he was allowed to finally talk and he asked for two of his favorite foods, pistachio ice cream and Wiener schnitzel. Wiener schnitzel. And his mobility had also improved. So that was a good sign. Um, He said, Siegfried reported that reported that Roy was standing up and um, their manager hinted that he would be walking soon. So, um, again, they weren't sure if he would ever return to, um, the show, but, um, I will say that in the secret garden, um, which is at the Mirage, it's a lush animal habitat that is right behind the Mirage and Montecor, the tiger now lives there. Oh, really? So he, they did not kill him. They did not kill him. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Um, Cause it's not, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So Siegfried said he would never take another partner. He said, there's no need. He says, Roy will be back. Roy is bigger than life. He always explained to me, life is full of miracles. And then just a little bit more about um, what happened that night of the attack. There was a 2020 documentary called Siegfried and Roy behind the magic. 
Um, what was said during the documentary is Roy said he became dizzy and suffered a stroke on stage, which resulted in him falling. And he said oh. that Montour saw him in distress and dragged him off stage. That being said, one of the trainers basically called bullshit and said Montecor wasn't acting at a hero, as a hero at all, but became confused on stage and deliberately attacked Roy. So there's still a debate as to what actually happened. Um, a lot of what people think is that Roy will never admit. Yeah, um, they're never. He was going actually to admit. attacked uh, because they don't want to ruin their image that they have built around right. the relationship that they had with these tigers. Um, and then my final thing is the duo Siegfried and Roy got back on stage one more time in 2009 for a final show. So how did that go? That was good. It was good. Right. After, okay. after the show had stopped in 2003 because of this attack, they were really sad that they weren't able to um, kind of finish their career as performer careers as performers uh, the way they wanted to on a high note. So even though they weren't able to move around and perform um, quite like they used to, because again, they were celebrating his 59th birthday in 2003. So by 2009, he was in his mid sixties. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they it wasn't quite the same, but they still put on a great show and they even brought out Montecore for one final trick on stage. No way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is the story of Siegfried and Roy and the actual tire attack, uh, that some of us remember and some of us just heard about and moved on <laughs> like yeah, I did. I mean I remember I mean I knew of them I knew who they were but I didn't know the story I didn't realize they were lovers and I thought it was more of a magic I didn't I knew they had tigers and stuff but I wasn't I didn't know the extent of it wow that's crazy yeah so that is a story of them that's great Good all right job. Kenny 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 what's up got some weird news okay okay so normally I wouldn't do a weird baby name, but this one was just too weird. A family <laughs> names their baby what amid the coronavirus pandemic? Oh, God. I mean, I'm not going to say Corona because that's too easy. Yeah, um, I, I've seen a couple of those, though. So. Um, wait, is it is it COVID? No, I've seen that, though, too. This one's Really? Uh, Who's yeah. going to do that? I mean, come on, people. Okay, that was my guess. Oh, I, I don't know. Um, who knows? People weird, name their kids the weirdest shit. Um, hmm. Is it Face Bask McGee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it, um, oh, N95. <gasps> wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. Is it Purell? Oh, Jenny, close. Sanitizer. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Well, the best part is, though, the reason. The reason. Uh, let me find what it is. So... The father said that the name would act as the family's contribution in the fight against coronavirus. Oh, get out of here. How? Why? I don't know. Tell uh, why, Kenny. He, then he explained, um, sanitizer is one of the best ways to protect ourselves against con contracting coronavirus infection. We remember this period whenever we utter our baby's name. Are they going to oh, call my. her Sanny for short? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Or Tizer. No. I feel like Purell would have been better. At least that's kind of pretty. Right. Right. Maybe her Lord. middle name's Purell. Sanitizer Purell. <laughs> no. And and their yeah. last name is Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. That was good. 
I love it. Okay, great. That's a terrible name. Congratulations oh, yeah. to those parents. <laughs> that poor child. <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, thanks for listening, you guys. This has been Sip. Survive. Repeat. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.